Hey friends, I am so glad uh, that you chose to click here and join me today. Listen, on Sunday morning, we had the most incredible service. We had this powerful, strong time of worship. And then right as I began to bring the message, I was about 20 seconds in. And if you were here, you know what happened. All the power went out totally dark, uh, you know, our online broadcast cut off. I had no microphone. Good thing I'm loud and really good thing, people actually stayed. It was a very amazing time of getting to uh, speak God's word, um, but in the dark and people actually hung with us. But I know that a lot of people weren't here on Sunday morning because of our extreme weather. And even for those of you that were here uh, this, uh, this past Sunday morning, the end of this message is going to be different. Uh, as I even woke up this morning, I just felt God putting something new and fresh on my heart. So even what I'm going to be sharing today, while most of it is connected to exactly what we talked about on Sunday morning, the ending is different and I believe very powerful. So I am looking forward to being with you over these next minutes. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this moment. Lord, this is a re-recording of what we did on Sunday morning together as your church. But Father, I believe that you do have something fresh and new and alive for us because that's what your word is. It's alive. So breathe into us today, Jesus, and make this alive in our own spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a question for you. What is the greatest truth in all of human history? The greatest truth in all of human history. I know it's a really big and kind of daunting question, but if we were to go out into our neighborhoods right now and knock on doors and ask people that question and they had a little time to think about it, what do you think people might respond with? I think people might respond with the greatest truth in all of history is democracy, you know, or maybe that all people are created equal. Like there's not, you know, people up here and other people down here, we're all created equal. Maybe people might say that freedom is a fundamental right. I believe that all, all of those are important and we could probably just continue in coming up with some other ideas as well, but... I want to give to you this morning something that I believe is the greatest truth in all of history, and it can very beautifully and powerfully be summed up in just three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. These powerful three words are absolutely at the epicenter of our Christian faith and our mission as Christ followers. And they represent these ideas. Jesus is Lord means that he has all authority over all things and nothing is impossible for him. He has all authority over all things. There's nothing outside of his reach. And nothing is impossible for him. Jesus is Lord. Now listen, over these past weeks, we've been talking about three, what I believe are main attributes to the person of Jesus. And so we've, we've kind of looked at these three ideas. 
Number one, Jesus is here. He's present with us always. Second, we looked at Jesus is good, that he is for us and not against us. And then this week, we're looking at this third idea that Jesus is Lord. Now, listen, you you may have wondered, it may have popped into your mind uh, over the past weeks that in those three ideas, Jesus here, Jesus good, and Jesus Lord, is is there one that may be more important than the others? Like, is, is there some like, you know, order one, two, three that we should think about? And I believe the answer is yes. And maybe not surprisingly to you, I believe the one that is the most important is the one we're talking about today. Jesus is Lord. Everything else flows from this idea. In fact, one of the ways that, that maybe you know, we could think about this is that when we say that Jesus is here and that Jesus is good, those are actually describing the kind of Lord that Jesus is. That he is the God who is present. He is the Lord who will never, ever leave us. He is watching and he is engaged with our lives and our stories. And he's good. That he he is not looking to judge us. He doesn't want to judge us. He's not willing that anyone would perish. He loves us incredibly and has sacrificed himself for us. We have a Lord that is good. And so of all of these three, I believe that that right here, we, we find that it's that Jesus being Lord is the most important of all ideas that we have about Jesus. Now, I love what Paul wrote. He wrote this in the first chapter uh, of Colossians, and he's writing to his friends, and he gets to this, this, this moment where he's just wanting to describe who Jesus is in all of his lordship. And the, he just kind of breaks into, to me, it's like a, a, a lyric more than, more than just uh, random ideas. These aren't bullet points. These are like phrases like in, a, in poetry. Like if you've ever heard some powerful spoken word and, and maybe like some cool beats that are laid down behind and it's just boom, 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 boom. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote about Jesus, Jesus being Lord, but in your mind, you can just be like playing some cool beats in your mind. You ready to go? It's starting in verse 15 through verse 20. Listen to what Paul said. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
And did you catch how many times Paul dropped in that word everything? He is over everything. He is the first. He is the best. He is supreme over all creation. Friends, Jesus is Lord. And while Jesus was here on earth, he demonstrated his lordship over and over and over. He showed people by the way he lived and what he did that he indeed is the Lord. What did he do? Well, I mean, he, he healed like every kind of affliction that people had in their bodies. If they were blind, he opened their eyes. If they were deaf, he opened their ears. He raised the line. He even raised people from the dead. Very, very incredible. What else did Jesus do? Well, he like multiplied resources, just natural resources. Do you remember like, hey, we got thousands of people to feed Jesus. He's like, cool, bring me a loaf of bread and a fish. Let's, let's see if I can feed them all. And he did it. He just, he, he was over all natural things. In fact, there's also, the, you know, stories of Jesus like calming the raging seas at his word. And the seas were calm. Another time, disciples are out on a boat. Jesus comes walking to them on the water. He was over all nature. And when he encountered people that were dealing with demonic influence and oppression and possession in their lives, you know what Jesus did? He commanded those demons to get out. And then to top it all off, death could not hold him. He was dead on Friday, killed on the cross. And on Sunday, he was alive. Listen, he is Lord over everything. All of nature has to submit to him. All of the spiritual realm, every affliction that we might encounter in our lives and even death itself, Jesus is Lord over all. But I want you to think about something. Even when Jesus, the Lord, was demonstrating his lordship in so many different ways um, over those years that he walked on this earth, most of Israel did not name him as their Lord. They did not submit to him as their Lord. It's like, how is that possible? They were seeing things, they were hearing things. Everything about him was saying, I'm the Lord. Most people did not surrender to him as Lord. Maybe this should not surprise us too greatly because even now, this is something that you and I and everyone on earth struggle with. Why is that? Why is it so challenging to make Jesus our Lord? Here is why. Because having a master always requires something of us. Having a master, any master, including Jesus, always requires something of us. What does it require of us to make Jesus our Lord? I believe it requires two things. Not complicated, but it requires two things. It requires our faith in him and secondly, our submission to him. Requires our faith in him and our submission to him. 
Let's just unpack that for a moment. First, it requires our faith. If we're going to make Jesus our Lord, we have to actually believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and that he will do everything that he said he would do. That's, a, that's like number one. That's the starting place. Paul talks about this in Romans 10 verse 9. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the path of salvation. Declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But notice this. Our declaration comes from what we actually believe. And when you look at that verse and when you actually say, oh, this is what I believe, what we're believing is the miracle reality that Jesus is our resurrected king. He is the Lord. He conquered death. Death could not hold him. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And that becomes our declaration. That we declare, Jesus, you are Lord. Because I believe it. I believe this miracle reality. There is no other way to be saved. And there is no other way to come under his lordship. We must trust that he is exactly who he said he is. And that he will do everything that he said he'll do. But faith, just kind of saying, yes, I believe that, is not enough. I want you to check this out because I believe that there's a second requirement for any who would make the claim that Jesus is their Lord. Not only must we believe, but we also must submit, surrendering our will to his will. Like Jesus did before he went to the cross. You remember when he was praying out on the Mount of Olives, when he, he cries out and says, not my will but yours be done. That that needs to become our own cry. That that, that it is part of the requirement of making Jesus our Lord is surrendering in full submission to Jesus. Paul also talks about this and he, he did so really beautifully and powerfully when he was writing to his uh, friends in Philippi. And it's in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that Paul says this. God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Meaning like everywhere. Because why? Because Jesus is supreme over all creation. Every knee will bow. And then he goes on, and every tongue declare. Declare what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So listen, one day, every knee is gonna bow before Jesus is Lord. And everyone is gonna make that declaration, Jesus, you are my Lord. That will happen one day. For some, that will be unto salvation and for others, unto judgment because they did not name Jesus as Lord here 
while they had an opportunity in this life. But for those of us who are learning to live under his lordship, those are things that we're doing and learning to practice every day, right? On this journey of faith, we are learning every day to to bow our knee to the Lord and to declare, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, I'm surrendering every area of my life to you so that I can say as you did, not my will, but yours be done. So I'm hearing probably some thoughts that are going through some of your minds. I I think some are probably wrestling a little little bit with this saying, okay, pastor, I hear what you're saying. And I I hear this whole idea about Jesus being Lord. It kind of sounds cool, but I I have a problem. Because I've been raised to really believe that no one should be over me. Like, like no one should be my master. I've, I've grown up believing that I should be the one to control my destiny. I'm the one that should control my decisions. And so, listen, pastor, can't I just love and worship Jesus as my savior without really making him the Lord? Listen, I think that that is a a really good and profound question. And I know that all of us have been there and kind of struggled through those very same questions. Here's what I want to tell you though. If we try to make Jesus our savior without making him our Lord, I believe that our faith will eventually collapse. Like it's going to have structural failure. Like if our faith was a bridge, right? Everything supporting it, I believe will get washed out. Well, what are the supporting structures that get washed out? What comes crashing down about our faith if we do not believe that he is the Lord? I believe there's, there's two things. I believe it has to do with his promises and his instructions. I believe that those things will get destroyed. They're not gonna make any sense to us if we do not fully put Jesus in that place of lordship in our lives. What do I mean, promises and instructions? What's gonna go wrong with those? Number one, if Jesus isn't Lord, then his promises are really nothing more than happy thoughts that lack the power to produce hope in our lives. Listen, when we read through the New Testament, we see consistently over and over that our hope as believers, like that hope, that that fire that springs up in us comes from one place. It's not us trying hard or wishing harder or or whatever. No, you know where where our hope comes from? His promises. And and why do those promises, why do those promises make a difference in our lives? Why do they produce hope? Because we have a Lord who will guarantee his promise. So guess what happens? Just kind of like reverse engineer that. If there is no Lord, then there is no one to guarantee those promises. And so all they become is empty words, happy thoughts with no deep meaning, significance or ability to produce hope in our lives. So let me give you some examples. Um, I, I picked just a handful of promises that are from the Lord that are for you and for me. 
I want you to listen to some of these. Not all of them were spoken by Jesus, but all of them are from the Lord for you and for me. And so they come via Jesus. You ready? Check these out. I will never leave you. I will work all things together for your good. And if you are weary, I will give you rest. And if you confess your sins, I am faithful and I'm just, and I will forgive you of all of your sins and purify your life. And how about this? I will meet all of your needs, not according to what's in your bank account, but according to my riches. And those are all really good. But are those just like happy thoughts and mm, boy, I wish that were true. Or do those things actually produce hope within us? Well, listen, what, what the common denominator of all of those promises and all of his promises is this. The common denominator is that all of these promises are backed up by the authority that Jesus has as Lord. Because he is supreme over all things in heaven and on earth, he can guarantee that every word that he has spoken is true and he is faithful. He will never back down on any one of his promises. So if someone doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord, then they don't believe that he has the authority to back up those promises. And so all of his promises really just begin to fall apart. They don't make any sense to us. But then there's the second thing that doesn't make any sense, and that's his instructions. If he's not Lord, how would his instructions actually make sense? Because if Jesus isn't Lord, then his instructions, and when I say instructions, yes, I'm meaning his rules, his commands, the ways he says, this is how you are to live. If Jesus isn't Lord, then his instructions are either completely meaningless, meaning they can just, so what, just ignore them, or worse yet, they're religious rules that are just meant to control our lives. And a lot of people think either of those things, that everything, that all the instructions and rules in the Bible are really just, uh, you know, either meaningless or, or they're just these, you know, kind of cruel uh, religious rules. And uh, so why would we want to follow them? But I want to ask you this. Well, I mean, why would Jesus get to make the rules in the first place? I mean, what, what makes him able to be like the supreme rule maker and instruction giver? There's only one reason. Because he's Lord. Listen, when you're the master, you get to make the rules for your house. And Jesus is master of all. He is over all things. So guess what? He gets to make the rules and give the instructions. Now, King David uh, just said some incredible things about Jesus and, and, and the Lord. Um, making uh, rules and giving us instructions. And in Psalm 19, verse seven and eight, listen to what King David writes. He says this, he says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, 
reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Isn't that good? Man, he says that the Lord's instructions are clear, right? They're not confusing. No, he makes them really, really clear for us because he wants us to be able to follow them. And they're perfect. They're trustworthy and they're right. And what does it say that they produce? It says that, he says that they revive us. They don't ruin us. They don't make our lives miserable. No, they bring us back to life. Like, this is like divine CPR. No, let me tell you how to live. You're living in a way that's gonna kill you. I wanna revive you with my instructions. And then he says they give us wisdom and insight. And they don't lead to misery. He says they lead to joy. You want a joy-filled, revived life? Follow his instructions. But none of his instructions really make sense at all if we don't recognize, oh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, that's why you have the right and the authority to tell me how I should live. Because I'm your creation and, and, and you actually have a plan for me. And, and so as I follow your lordship, God, I, I, I'm gonna trust that all of your instruction is good and perfect and gonna be helpful for me to live a fruitful life. Listen, many people attempt to make Jesus their savior, but, re, but really resist, struggle with making him their lord. And I do get it. The promises of Jesus, that which ignites hope in our souls though and, and the instructions that he gives that leads to joy and to a revived life. And those are just not going to grow or be sustained in that person's faith. I believe that there will be a structural collapse of our faith if we do not make Jesus both our savior and our Lord. So I want to finish with this. I want to finish by, by kind of asking the question, all right, then how do we move beyond just Jesus being my, my friend and savior and the lover of my soul and, and also grow in his lordship in my life where I'm trusting him with more and more of my life? How, how can we do that? I want to finish by looking at one story that Jesus told. And this is where the message deviates from what I shared on Sunday morning. This is something that is, I believe, fresh and gonna be really helpful to us in our understanding of how to actually make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And it's a story that Jesus told, kind of interesting, kind of needs to be uh, thought about and, and explained a little bit. But it's a story about two kings that are about to have some conflict. And we find it in Luke chapter 14. If you're reading along with us in the New Testament, we read this just a couple of weeks ago. And starting in verse 31 and then in verse 32, this is what Jesus says. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down 
and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000. Yikes, not good odds. If he's not able, he will send a delegation uh, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for what? For terms of peace. Keep that thought in your mind. What is Jesus talking about? He's painting this picture of two forces coming right to that point of confrontation. But one force is so superior, so much larger, so much stronger than the smaller, weaker force that that, that, that inferior force, they realize we are in trouble because of that king comes with his way stronger force and, and actually confronts us, we're dead. I mean, we are facing absolute annihilation. Hmm. So what are we gonna do? So rather than being wiped off the face of the earth, there's got to be a better option than certain death. So what do they do? They, they send a delegation to make peace. That's really smart. But I, wanna, I want you to think about this. What kind of peace treaty do you think that superior, stronger, larger force is gonna settle for? You know, uh, what, what, do you, what do you think? That, you know, what do you, what do you think they're gonna be happy with? I believe that there is only one option for peace in this situation. Unconditional surrender. I want you to just repeat that right wherever you are, right in your home, your office, you're working out, you're in the car, unconditional surrender. That is the only way that peace can be made. It's where this inferior force, right? <laughs> Says our lives are now yours. Everything we have is yours. Take our money, take our homes, take our families. We will now serve you completely. Unconditional surrender. Listen, Jesus was driving home, I believe, this massive point about his lordship when he told this short story. He is the superior force in the story. We are absolutely the inferior inferior one. And in the story, he only says that the superior force was twice as big, twice as strong. Listen, Jesus is so far bigger than we are, we can't even imagine. He is so far greater that it, it like goes beyond our ability to even imagine how great he is in comparison to who we are. He is immeasurably stronger and greater, supreme over everything. And when we recognize this, this is what Jesus was getting at. I, I think, you know, we, we would come to the recognition that, oh my gosh, Jesus really is Lord. He really is that much greater than I am. And so what kind of peace treaty for you and me do you think would be acceptable for Jesus when we come to him? A or B, what, what, what kind of treaty do you think that he would be okay with? A is this, 
I think a lot of people try to get away with this type of a peace treaty. Like, you know, Jesus, I, 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 I want to come to you and kind of make things right. Can, can we make peace? And, and Jesus is like, oh, it, you know, it's, it's really okay. You, you can still do most of everything you want to do. Uh, that, yeah, that sin in your life, you know, tr- try to do a little better, you know, try, try to not sin for so long, try, try to, you know, kind of get rid of some of that stuff. Uh, just don't mess up too bad, right? We're good. We're buddies. Yeah. Just show up at church once a week, sing some songs to me, but really the other six days of the week, kind of do what you want right? Those are your days. You know, I just have this, you know, little time on Sunday mornings, you know, it's all I ask. I hope it's not too much for you, right? Or maybe when we come to make peace with Jesus, there's option B. And that option is the one that I believe that actually is the one that he would accept. Surrender. Completely. Unconditionally. Yes, every area of your life and everything you have, surrender it now. Complete, unconditional surrender. But really, Pastor, you, you, you really think that that's what Jesus meant in this story? Absolutely, that's what he meant. How can I guarantee that? Because of the very next verse. Because after Jesus tells that, that little short story, this is what he follows up with in, in uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 33 of Luke. He says, in the same way, right? The same way to come to peace, that inferior force to the superior force, the weaker to the stronger, the one who's just about gonna get wiped out to the one who has all power and authority, He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Did you catch that? If you don't give up everything, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Listen, friends, remember the first step is believing. Right, declaring with your mouth, believing with your heart. That's the step of salvation. But Jesus is saying something more here. He's saying that that's the first step, but the very next step is unconditional surrender. Giving everything to him. Everything. That is the path of discipleship. And without this, friends, so many people, salvation just falls apart. Their faith literally deconstructs. It just doesn't make sense if Jesus isn't Lord. So we come to him and we say, Jesus, take it all. You can have every part of my life, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, my money, it's yours. My sexuality, it's yours. My friendships and my relationships, Jesus, they are yours. Unconditionally. I, I remember in my life the, the short little season 
when that happened, I was 19 years old. I had been saved. I had named Jesus as my Lord. I believed in him, 100% believed in him. But then there was this next really big step of unconditional surrender. It's when I responded. For me, it was this response that Jesus, you have all of my life, all of my days. I will go anywhere, do anything with all of my life that you want me to do. And it changed everything, everything. In fact, I remember one night, kind of after I'd processed that decision and it was kind of this intellectual decision, but there was one night, I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, even Kelly. I don't think anybody's ever heard this story before. But I was driving home from church one night and God was just dealing with my soul. And I think I was just kind of undone before him. I made this decision, God, I'm going all in. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to this point of unconditional surrender. And I just broke driving home. I, I, just, I literally in the car on the freeway, the 405 in the San Fernando Valley, I just began to weep. Somehow seeing the world so differently than I had ever seen it before. Jesus, who am I to stand up against you? Who am I in my life to not give you everything of who I am and what I'll become? give you my future, my dreams, my hopes, that whatever ministries I may have. Lord, take it all and use it for your glory. I know in my own life and my own story, that moment was so pivotal. It changed everything. I, I believe it's why I'm still here. Because I truly, truly believe, friends, Jesus is not only here, He's with us, he's present, and that he's good. He's for us, not against us. But he's also our Lord. And that's the amazing thing that is that he's all three. I think sometimes we can come in fear like, ah, oh, I can't give him that part of my life. He's gonna ruin it, he's gonna mess it up. No, he's good. Everything that he does is perfect. And everything he does is for you. Everything that he does is to revive you and to bring you into a life of joy and wholeness. He said, I came to bring life so you'd have it to the full. That's why he came. So do not fear giving him your life, making him your Lord. Believe and submit. Come to this place of unconditional surrender. And remember who you are. <laughs> You're the inferior army. It's pointless trying to fight against God anyway. So how much more fun is it to join with him? And here's what we discover. I'm going to finish with this. We fear that he, he, as he comes as the conquering king, is that he's going to come to enslave us, make us do all these rules. You know what he's coming to do? To set us free from slavery. He wants to conquer us to set us free. Free from whatever has been holding on to you, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever anguish, whatever torment, whatever addiction that you have been suffering under. He came to set you free. He doesn't want to enslave you to set you free because he's good. Let's 
pray. Jesus, you are incredible and you are here, present with us, and you are good in every way. And Jesus, we declare together, you are Lord. So everything of who and what we are, we give it over to you. We surrender all and we surrender unconditionally. We will serve you from here on out to the best of our ability that is empowered by your grace and by your Holy Spirit so that we can become obedient to you fully as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next Sunday, gonna bring the concluding message to this series about Jesus. And I think it's gonna be really highly practical and helpful, especially to parents, but also anyone who wants to have a godly influence in the lives of those around us and our neighbors, our community, even our nation. So be here this coming Sunday. I look forward to spending time with you then. You are loved by me. You are loved by the Lord.